So we continue in our book, uh, Zechariah, this wonderful prophet who has spoken to us with such profound force, the force of um, uh, the Holy Spirit as he speaks to as he speaks to our hearts, opening up our hearts to God in Christ. We continue to talk about Christ both being a king, as we have seen, and he is our shepherd. He is our savior. We need him to save us. And so there, there must come a, a point in our life where we recognize that we're needy people. Our, our globe needs help. Our nation needs help. Our community here needs help. We're in desperate need. And so when we talk about Christ, we're talking about this global king, the only king, the wise and eternal one who comes to save his people from their enemies globally. And we look forward, we look forward to that day when he comes to save us physically from the presence of sin in this world, and he reigns here for a thousand years, and then at the end of that thousand years, there is the earth being burned up with fire. There's going to be a, a great destruction of the earth, except, except that this time it will be fire and it will not be water. We saw how Christ is our Savior in, in a number of ways. The first way we looked at was He's our Savior from, from those who come to harm us. He even prevents those who would come to harm us. And uh, in the supernatural way takes care of us. And the example that was given to us in Zechariah, the ninth chapter, was how God saved Israel from Alexander the Great. And we could say that this is a salvation of prevention. He prevented Alexander from coming in and destroying his people. And oftentimes God saves us that way. He doesn't just come with a, a sword or give us a gun, but there are times where he prevents the enemy from getting to us. And so we can, we can say this is true not only with, with Israel, but we can say it's true for ourselves. There are oftentimes we are at the very cusp of danger on the threshold of some attacking force coming into our life. And the Lord raises up a standard against the enemy. And he prevents the catastrophe from happening. In, instead of the battle actually beginning to ensue, the Lord, the Lord comes and he prevents that thing from happening. There are times that we, we know about this. There are, are times where we say, Lord, thank you that you have prevented this from coming into our life. Lord, we could have died. Lord, we remember a situation in our life where we could have died, but Lord, you prevented that from happening. And perhaps even as you're seated here this morning, you're thinking of ways that God has protected you. You, you look at this miraculous life of yours and, oh, it is miraculous. It's miraculous that your heart continues to beat for another minute. We, we continue to take our life for granted oftentimes, or we just we don't even think about the, the fact that during the evening and during the night, our heart continues to beat and pulsate, blood continuing to circulate through 
our bodies. This is, a, this is miraculous. And at any time, the Lord, the Lord could take us home, but there are often times in our life where he prevents disaster from, from coming upon us. And this is exactly what happened with Alexander, how God raised up a standard against him. We could say that this is the salvation of prevention. But then we looked at last week this, this other kind of salvation, the salvation of the Lord, how he comes humbly. He comes as a Lord, as a God of, of peace. He is settling the account that we have with God, the fact that the wrath of God is being pressed against us. And we talked about the fact that we have been at war with God. From the moment that we have been born, we, we noticed that we are not born as natural God-seekers, for no one seeks the Lord. There is truly no one who is spiritual in the biblical sense of the word. We're spiritual in carnal and fleshly ways. And so the Lord has come and he has provided a sacrifice that would end this war between his people and God. And that was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who comes as a, as a God of peace. We need peace. There's a couple of different kinds of peace that are talked about in the scriptures. There's an objective peace where we're no longer at war with God. The war ends. We lay our weapons down. We stop fighting God. So I'm not going to fight God anymore. I'm not going to fight him. I'm going to lay my weapons down. And so we get to the point of where we say, God, no more. Lord, I sense your spirit in my life. You've been calling me. You, you want to shape my life and you want to mold me. But the truth is, I, I know, God, that I've been opposed to you. And so, uh, and by the way, oftentimes it doesn't even look like that. There are plenty of people that are very, very nice people that are very opposed to God. I'll never forget going out and knocking on doors in this neighborhood many times over. And oftentimes the reactions were friendly enough. I got one reaction at one point where a man yelled at me and said, get off of my lawn, the proverbial angry old man, <laughs> except I wasn't eight years old. And uh, he told me to, to get away. He wanted nothing to do with the Lord. He seemed nice enough at first until I mentioned why I was there to talk about Jesus. And then the conversation went south after that. So there are plenty of nice people who are at war with God. They're very nice, very kind. Being, being nice doesn't make somebody a Christian. As one pastor said, the problem with heretics is they're nice. So you can have a, a nice heretic. You can have a nice non-believer who's very religious. But you begin to talk about Jesus Christ and the fact that you need him as, as your Savior. And Jesus came while we were yet his enemies. Christ died for us. How powerful is that? Christ died for us. But our eyes must be opened. And we talked about this last week, how Jesus can be going through on a donkey and everybody's cheering him and waving him on and everything looks wonderful and yet there are people that are missing him. I must ask myself the question this morning. Do you know God? Do you know God? 
Are you at war with God this morning? Perhaps you've, um, perhaps you've been very nice your whole life. Perhaps you even have people tricked. The way that you know somebody knows God, listen, they're humble. They're humble. This doesn't mean that they don't ever battle pride. But a humility has come into their life. A deep love for God and a deep love for people. Teachability, a humility. This is what this is what our text says. Why don't you look with me real quick at verse 9 of, of chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and salvation. And having salvation is he. Here it is, humble. Humble. And mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So what is the mark characteristic of our Lord here in this text? He's, he's a man of humility. Everything that we think of in this culture, and by the way, humility is being seen more and more as you don't want humility, humble. No, no, you want to exert yourself. But you. And the Lord comes and says, no, 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 that's, that's not what... That's not that might have been celebrated in Rome. The self-assured arrogance. And that might be celebrated in our culture today. You're self-assured, you're arrogant. Man, that's a guy, that's a woman who's really got it all together. Oh no, no. So there's a humility that comes to our life where we say, Lord, I, I recognize that I've been at war with you. I need objective peace with you. I need to lay my weapons down. Lay them down. And so you can tell a person who has done that. It's no longer a me, 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 but it's, Lord, lay the sword down. I bow my knees before you and I ask you, God, to take over my life. You're Lord. You're really Lord. I don't just call you Lord. I don't just sing about the Lord. Isn't the Lord good? We sing songs about the Lord. But no, you're really the Lord. I was thinking this morning as Elder Frank was talking and speaking from Peter, thinking if Peter was right here, he's saying, add to this, add to the virtue in your life, knowledge. He really meant that. We should be sitting there listening like, I need to add virtue to my life. I need to add knowledge to my life. The word of God being so powerful, so they're, there comes this brokenness in our life, and it's um, it's representative of Jesus Christ. And here he's here he's loving us the whole time that we we don't even get it, we don't even get it, and yet he he loves us. So Christ came to be the provision. So we could say that this is the salvation of provision in this in this passage here. The fact that he has provided himself as the ultimate sacrifice. The Sacrifice of humility on our behalf. That's objective peace. I'm no longer, I'm no longer at war with God. But then there's a subjective peace. And the subjective peace of God is when our heart is troubled. So the objective peace says, God, I'm no longer at war with you. The subjective peace says, Lord, I just I'm troubled in my heart when my heart is overwhelmed. I will look to you alone. What do I need in that moment when the heart is overwhelmed, when the heart is filled with anxiety or concern, 
about the day's events or the year's events or whatever may be going on in one's life. And then the scripture comes and Jesus says this. He says, my peace I give to you. Is he talking about objective peace there? The, the war with God? No, he's talking about subjective peace. My peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And this is why we're told in the scripture, let the peace of God rule and reign in your heart. The peace of God. And so the only way to get that kind of peace is like the old song says, is to trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You just say, Lord, I trust you. In the most turbulent time of your life, and you say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you, Lord. Lord, I cling to these words of Peter. I cling to these words of Zechariah. Lord, make them alive in my heart. When we sing, God, you're my rock, when my heart is overwhelmed and I will trust in you alone, God, I'm really asking you that you would be, Lord, that you would be my stronghold, Lord, that you would be my strong tower. Back in those days, they would have these towers that people could run into, safety from, from the enemy. And the scripture tells us over and over again that the Lord is our, he's our strong tower. If you don't have peace this morning, you need to learn to pray and just begin to say, Lord Jesus, I come to you. You are the provision, the sacrificial provision for my life. Lord, you have, you have come to end the war, the objective war with God between me and God, but you've also come to bring subjective peace to my soul when I need the peace of God. You're the provision, God. You're the one who brings peace to my heart. Psalm chapter 9, flip with me to Psalm chapter 9 quickly. Psalm chapter 9. Psalm chapter 9. Psalm chapter 9, verse 9. Psalm chapter 9. Verse 9. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. Chapter 18, Psalm chapter 18, Psalm chapter 18, verse 2. By the way, I love verse 1, how it starts off with, I love you. I love you. I love you, Lord. It's a good thing to say to the Lord, we love him. Let me sing it together. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you, oh my soul, rejoice, joy, my King, in what you hear, let it be a sweet. Very biblical to say, I love you, Lord. Verse 1, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. 
my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So we could say that Zechariah is talking to us not only about the Lord being the Lord our Savior who is the one who prevents, salvation of prevention. We could say in verse 9 of chapter 9 that he is the Savior of provision. He's our provision to end the war with us in God. But he's also our Savior of protection. So he's our Savior of prevention. He's our Savior of provision. But he's also our Savior of protection. Look with me at chapter 9, verse 10. And this is where we close. So the Lord is prophesying through Zechariah. Verse 9, he comes. The Lord comes riding on a donkey. We see that fulfilled in Matthew 21. Then verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. And the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak. Who shall speak? Jesus. Jesus shall speak peace to the nations. No more wars. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Very interesting, the prophets had this view of the future where they saw peaks in the future, but they didn't necessarily see all the valleys. And so what Zechariah is seeing here, this telescopic view as he's looking through the eyes of a telescope, as it were, off into the distance, he sees these two huge peaks. And the first peak that he sees is the first coming of Christ. And that is the coming of Christ when he came 2,000 years ago. And that scripture of him riding on a donkey has already been fulfilled. Then he sees a second peak, and that is in verse 10 here, where he speaks peace to the nations. Well, he didn't do that here. He spoke about peace, as we've already talked about, but the nations definitely are not at peace now. In fact, there were wars going on then. There are wars going on now. There are people being killed in the name of Christ. This past century was the bloodiest century regarding the martyrs of the church and the whole history of the church combined. That is a bloody century. And so Zechariah is looking at these two mountain peaks. The first mountain peak he's looking at is the first coming of, of Christ. And the second mountain peak, in verse 10 is his second coming, talking about his second coming. And what he doesn't refer to here is the thousands of years in between. So here you have the church age that is taking place even right now. And he is not mentioning that. He's not addressing that. He's not teaching about that. All he's seeing is peak number one, the first coming of Christ. And then there's this, this valley of the whole church age that we live in. And it's lasted for a couple thousand years, and who knows how long it's going to last. But we expectantly await for his second coming as we say, even so, come Lord Jesus, bring peace to the nations. Lord, you're the only one who is going to bring peace. And so Zechariah, with this prophetic eyesight, is not only able to see hundreds of years ahead of him in the first coming of Christ, 
but he's able to see through the eyes of faith. And this is why the prophets would search their own writings. Exactly what does this mean? This is Christ here in this text as king. We flip to Psalm 72 and we stop here. Flip with me to Psalm chapter 72. There could be no better description of Christ as king, this ruling one who comes the first time as a lamb and is coming the second time as a lion. This past week in prayer, Patty had mentioned she said, don't, don't you think that it's so obvious as we read all of these texts of Scripture? Listen carefully. If the Lord fulfills these verses in Alexander to the detail, to the detail, to the letter, if he fulfills the first coming of Christ down to the donkey, we said on Wednesday, you might be able to provide yourself a donkey and try to fulfill this text on your own, it would be very hard to provide yourself crowds of people shouting Hosanna and waving palm branches in the air. If he fulfilled those two texts down to the letter, do you not think he's also going to fulfill to the letter this second coming of Christ where he will speak peace to the nations and, oh, we do not want to be asleep. We want to be wide awake for that. Wide awake, it's coming. Okay, Psalm chapter 72 Psalm chapter 72, this is a text talking about the king. Verse 1, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures. As long as the sun goes on, may they fear you. And as long as the moon throughout all generations, may he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. Here it is. May he have dominion, just as we read in Zechariah 9. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. Is this not exactly what we're talking about? For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor in him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually, and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruits be like Lebanon. May people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Let's pray.
Father, we come into your presence awed and amazed at how you're our Savior in every capacity. Lord, you're our Savior in prevention. You're our Savior in provision. You're our Savior in protection. Lord, we ask you that we would delight in you, the Son. Lord, you made the Son, the S-U-N, as a reflection to remind us of the Son, the S-O-N, who is the Son of God, radiant. The Son that we circle around is but a dim reflection of who you are. And Lord, I pray that if it's a prevention, perhaps in this room there are people praying, Lord, that you would prevent something, or they're seeing that in your life. Lord, maybe it's provision. You would be their Savior. It's provision in another way as a believer is coming to you. Perhaps it's protection from enemies. Lord, we give you our lives. We surrender to you. We ask you, Lord, that we would be awed at your mercy and your grace in our lives. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Everyone said, Amen. Would you stand with me? Um, no band here. I just want to sing the doxology here again this morning. Then we're going to close. There's lunch downstairs. Let me, let me say this. If you... um don't know Christ, you've come here this morning, I would love to speak with you. If you're not sure where you're going after you die, you can know for sure. You can know for sure. And uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is our provision.